everyone, and welcome to the 56th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about games that you can play in your house, on your table, maybe on the floor, possibly in a different room like uh, the bathroom, possibly in the bath, depending upon the games. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge the games because with me, I have Matthew Lees and Quinton Smith, the two best game judges on the planet. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Oh, my God. What? Matt and I are just reeling. We've been hanging out and working all day. You've just woken <laughs> up over in Canada, and I'm stunned. How what many are coffees they, have you had for breakfast, Paul? What are they putting in your uh, waffle? I have had waffle. 75% of a donut, and I have a cup of coffee, oh, right. and He's this has got crash. to carry me through. Yeah, you're done. Give you 10 minutes. Let's yep. get going. Have you ever played a game in the bathroom, Matthew? Of course I have. You can make it look like a walnut whip when you're in the bath. Ah, Let's do a wait, question. What, 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 wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. What? No. Let's do a thing. Let's do a game. (laughs) Right. Today we're going to be talking about the bicyclists of Flam Rouge. We're going to be talking about the mysteries of Mythos Tales. We're going to be talking Mm. about the excitement of Yamatai. We're Ah. going to be talking about Lego board games, which are bad, but Paul is sad about their passing anyway. Yes. And then we're going to move on to... Like a horrible aunt. He is a troublesome parent, is our Paul Dean. And then we're going to move on to a question from our uh, hot, hot mailbag and a folk game, which may or may not be sexy. It's not sexy this week, but it is awesome. Mm. All right. I'm very excited. Well, top of that list, you mentioned some bicycles. Uh, Yeah. A lot of people didn't know. And for once in our career, I felt great to be able to educate people. A lot of people were saying they didn't know about um, that that it was correct and normal to use words like bicyclist, uh, uh, bikeman, bikeman, and uh, cycle <laughs> man. There is a point in our uh, video on Flam Rouge bicycle racing. Bi- if people want to search for Flam Rouge, by the way, and they should uh, bike bicyclist. Bi- if like, a game of bicyclists and the bikes who love them, uh, it's French, so it's Flam F L A M M E, and then Rouge which is red for bicycle, which is red, red for bicycles. <laughs> people should watch uh, our review, video review of that game because it's uh, as incomprehensible as this, uh, but it also features us wearing Lycra. Uh, yes. Uh, and actually there's one point in that, in that video, which I won't spoil where people in the comments were saying, Oh, it's so funny how they get all the names for bicycle terms wrong. And, uh, but there was one of those that I thought was the real thing. Wow. Uh, it's, I think I talk about the bicycles crossing the winning line yeah. or the racing line to win the racing race or yeah. something. It, there's always that, though. People think, oh, it's really funny how they get stuff wrong all the time. The secret is sometimes we get them wrong by It's a accidents. defense mechanism. Uh, Paul, yeah. have you played Flam Rouge? I did. I managed to play a couple of games of this at BGGCon. In fact, it was it was constantly on the table at BGGCon last November in Texas. It was one of those games where... Um, and this happens at BGGCon. It will float around like someone will grab it. And rather than being returned to sort of the games library, the games depot, just it's on a table. And then when someone's done with it, there's already like a, a kind of an abstract queue of other people who have reserved the next spot of it. And uh, I quite liked it. I enjoyed it. I think it's really very good. And I think I... Not to toot my own bicycle, but there's a point in the review where I talk about so much of the joy being the nostalgia of just a race game and uh, just moving a tiny plastic person towards a finish line, which is the core of so many terrible board games from the 80s. Right. But it's, it's that, but good. Yeah. And this is it. I, I am not very excited about race games. It is, uh, I rack in my memory here, it must be the best race game I've ever played. And I'm not saying that because most of them are not exciting, although most of them aren't. But it, it stands head and it. Ah, oh, I'm going to go into racing puns. But it, it stands like head and shoulders above the rest. It does win the race of the best racing game, and by quite a margin for me. Wow! It, it hits yeah. the bike into a wall and goes over the handlebars, but still crosses the line in first position. And someone says that's not fair. He wasn't on the bike, <laughs> but it's too late. They've already walked away with the trophy. They've already run away. Yeah, with the trophy that's, limping. That's how it works. Yeah, it's just so simple. It's so clean. You know, it, it just the, it has a couple of simple rules that if you're one space behind someone else, you slipstream behind them. And then another rule, which is that if you're at the front of a pack of bicycles, mm. you get tired, or the bicycle gets tired. The men obviously don't get tired. Yeah, obviously the team you have, you have. Some somebody who's like the sprinter and then the kind of more steady static man. I like that as a little team. You're like, well, you, you can try and keep them together for a while so they can, you know, not run out of puff too much and they can like slipstream and keep them, each other happy. 
uh, like cycle partners do. But um, <laughs> but then also, yeah, I, lo- I love that it just becomes a mad burst at some point. You just decide right now, like a rocket, you're going to try and shoot over the line and hope that you don't end up exhausted and limping over it in third place. Yeah, you know, not a lot yeah. of people know this, but the cycle partners in real life, uh, it's like if you have two gerbils and then they're sort of friends, but then if one of them dies and the other will die soon after, or like old couples, if you if one of the bicyclists dies in an accident, the other one is usually found dead within within a week. They have to kill like, them. No, like they just die the from notebooks. sadness. Oh, I thought they had to. I thought it was like the, the Grand National. Well, this is the thing. None of us know really how bicycles work. And so I'm, I was just grateful that Flam Rouge could shed some light on that. I just crazy assumed world. it was like horse racing, where if the horse dies, they have to shoot the jockey as well. But <laughs> anyway, um, I actually got factually wrong there when I was uh, having my brief whimsy and the fact that you can't crawl over the line in third because Flam Rouge ends when someone wins. And you know what? We talked about this in the review, and something I really loved about this game and that you pointed out was how just immediately board gamey it is in a very traditional way. Like, the rules are so simple that it's like you're, you're moving places, you're, you're playing a board game. It's the yeah. simplicity, the recognisable recognizability, and the fact that the game does end when someone wins. It's, it's you know, like you've gone over line, like there's no like, oh, who, let's see who comes second. There's just this simplicity of you pick it up and you go and you're playing a board game and then it ends and you're done. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it's Unless refreshing. You get the app, which we didn't know about when we filmed the review. There's an let, app. There's an official app for Flam Rouge, uh, an, an app Rouge, if you will. Well, all it does is um, it lets you string together all the different races in the game, all the different racetracks in the game, in a um, grand tour. So you can essentially do a campaign, and then if someone's in first place across the tour, then they start. I think at the front of the pack. That's Makes the sense. Reward. Right? Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, uses a proper bicycle scoring. <laughs> I don't understand bicycle. Because I never got that in, like, racing, like, where it's like, hang on, you win, so your reward is you get to go at the front? Because yeah. I always think that's, like, that's not fair. It's but, not of course, fair. slipstreaming is a thing. And especially if you're doing a, sport, a race sport that involves your legs, that's a big deal. Uh, I'm looking forward to, in, in terms of other race news, uh, Jeff Engelstein, who did Space Cadets, Space Cadets Dice Fuel, uh, Fog of War, and a couple of other games we like, um... Uh, and is a nice a nice dude is doing a game called Pit Crew which yeah. has this year yes game about being a pit crew we which, saw that at GDC well we didn't see it but we saw you know talking about it oh really yeah what did he say oh, he just said he was working on it <laughs> Didn't go into a lot of detail but, okay yeah I'm excited but you're right he's a nice man I do I do think that pit crews agree with me Paul are the best part of a race well you know cr- what when I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, there was way too much Grand Prix racing on TV. Mm. And uh, every Sunday, the Grand Prix would be on and someone in my family would watch it or other people's parents would watch it. And I, I didn't like it. Lots of cars driving around very fast, got very bored. And the pit stop used to be the, the key thing. It used to be yes. less about like how fast they drove or who overtook who. But where they, when they timed the pit stop and could they do it under 10 seconds and they would take the wheels off the car and raise it up and do all this stuff, put fuel in. in they like don't even have to do that. Seconds. They just show off. They don't, the, well, the wheels obviously don't need replacing. But what's amazing is that pit crews are so good. They take the wheels off yeah. and we'll just put on a whole They're new artists. wheel. They're literally artists. Yes. And um, I'm looking forward to, to experience. But really, seriously, I think it, it I'm... I, when you tell me it's a board game about pit crews, I immediately don't know how that works. And it's so an interesting idea. In for that reason. Yeah. It's like, what does that look like? Mm. Oh, I think he was talking about like, cause obviously it was about that risk aversion thing and loss aversion and about yeah. how he found that sometimes if you say, well, actually, you know, if you do this, especially in race games, if you do this and it means you get slowed down as a penalty, they found actually, if you say, well, actually everyone else gets sped up slightly, then mm. that's more palatable. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting, but yeah, Flam Rouge, I loved it. And actually, you know, in, in a, in an era where increasingly boxes are getting heavier and more detailed and more complex of things and tiny cards and different sizes of things and chips and tokens. I love all of that stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it was wonderful just to open a box and be like, there's nothing in here, but it doesn't need it. Like you just have the cards that affect the speeds, the exhaustion cards that you get added in if you're at the front of the pack or on your own. And then the little cycle men, (laughs) the tiny cycle men. Uh, This is why I'm the, this is why I'm the worst though, because I will talk about wanting this and I'll praise it. And then I will be kind of patiently waiting for them to announce an expansion to add new uh, systems. What do you need to add, though? I mean, one of the things I don't know, Paul. I I really like that you can. Oh, weather chasms. Chasms, yeah. I really like that you can reconfigure the board and that you can make different tracks. Well, that's exactly it. 
you know, it's such a simple thing, but I, I just don't know what road because the existing game has corners and up up and down hills, and I yes. don't know what you can have in a race aside from that. I think playing well, I think that the answer is it's it's you know keeping track of stuff over an app and not having a tournament. I think it'd be a wonderful family game because what I found when we played it, just two players, uh, was that you know you you quickly it becomes a game of psyching out, and it becomes a case of like basically trying to work out, especially with two people, like you want to land. Try and land your guys just behind there. So you're just trying to work out what they're doing. Yeah. Like, are you going to yeah. burst ahead now or are you going to try and go really slowly? And especially if you're playing with your family and you're playing a tournament, like there would become this thing of you being like, well, they're not going to do that. Like, And you, it would end up being a kind of psychological profiling thing of being like, I wonder if they're going to try and do that and mm-hmm. getting a sense for how people play. Four player games are just bonkers because the pack, if you imagine having, because um, you have eight miniatures on the board and if there's ever one space between any of them, if they fuse together and, and accelerate. Yeah. So trying to break out of that pack in a four player game is occasionally, un- especially on a, on a board with hills where you can't overtake. Oh God. It's just, I, it's, it's like, okay, I would really like to accelerate now and then, Every time you blast off, the pack just fuses behind you, and you're going, "No, there's not it's, enough." Room it's a now. whole herd thing, and it every is a, time it's I herd played mentality. it, we, uh, you know, there, there was always obviously a winner, but there was very rarely like a super clear winner. Usually, the games were always close, and I liked that, and it never felt like anyone really, you know, had a disaster race and did terribly. Yeah. It's uh, it's just really good. If people haven't uh, yet, then head over to our YouTube channel and uh, take a look yeah. at Matt and my Flam Rouge video. We, we wear Lycra for the whole time. Features a real bike, and it. <laughs> uh, yes. It's not CGI. It's no, real. It's uh, honest it to God. See, I actually, thought it was a CGI bike. <laughs> and actually, the kind of Easter egg. There was a point where I was trying to do sl- like footage that we would shoot and then put in slow motion of me riding a bike. But I think it ended up. I then was visibly riding the bike so slowly, it didn't really need to be slowed down. Yeah, I just put in... It was funny to not slow it down because you're also riding it really badly and you can only see that if... Well, it's, it's really hard to ride a bike really slowly. Yeah. Yes, but you were doing it slowly. And there's a lot going on in that shot. People should keep an eye out. <laughs> Technology. Uh, also, so Paul, I have to mm-hmm. ask you a question about your Mythos Tales review now. Yes. Which is the other video, that uh, the other new big expansive video that you and Matt worked on with Matt doing some great editing and you doing oh, some yes. great, complete madness. He did a great um, job with, with a lot of that editing as well. So we, I don't want to spend as long talking about this because this isn't necessarily a game you totally recommend. But Not briefly, as much. Briefly, do you want to talk the people at home or on a bus or wherever they are under the stairs hiding from Mother about also, Mythos Tales? Also in the bath. Mythos Tales is a kind of investigative narrative game um, about solving occult mysteries. And it's mostly about navigating your way around a book and a map because most of the game exists sort of within a book or within a map and a directory. The idea being you have some kind of occult mystery, like someone has gone missing, but in a spooky way. So or, it's sort of like, um, you know, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. Paranormal it's detective. very, very, very much like Sherlock that. Sherlock Holmes if, fake detective. <laughs> yes, it's very much. Uh, and I'd encourage everyone to go back and watch our old Sherlock Holmes video that Quinn's recorded, because that's still a game that I think is like one of, I, am I correct to say it remains one of our favorites? We really, really like it. Yeah. Well, the only problem we had before was that it had typos, but with the new additions, they've all been removed. Supposedly. They've done supposedly. a pretty good supposedly. job of re- removing most of them. And that's the first problem that Mythos tales runs into (laughs) is you have some mysteries that can be interesting and they have some clever game mechanics in but they're not quite as uh subtle as some of the cases in sherlock holmes and then just like the original prince of sherlock holmes they just have typos so you turn up to a location and it you could have done absolutely the right thing and followed the clues, but you don't have quite the right information or something happens that shouldn't happen because a paragraph entry is mistyped or it's like in one of the cases, the case should start with a note that you read and they just forgot to put the note in the book. So it's just not there. It just doesn't exist anywhere. So I have um, a question to you yes. two, which is, so we've got Consultant Detective, Sherlock Holmes Consultant Detective, set in Victorian times. We've got now mm-hmm. Mythos Tales, which is the same, but for... Um, for about the 1920s, yeah, America. What what other reinterpretations of consultant detective could there be? Like, could we have like consultant detective, but you're like CAD file? What's that? Oh, was- <laughs> CAD file. <laughs> CAD file. <laughs> Paul oh remembers. He's old enough to remember. It was a uh, not extremely popular TV series. Basically, it was like the detective TV show format, except the detective was a monk. <laughs> 
in like the twelve okay. hundreds or something. And it was right? like yeah, so it was basically like medieval murders. Like oh no, mystery. there's a really successful book series that I forgot the name of, but it's they a, might it's be a, based on those. It's a crime solving monk. No, it's a it's a whole thing. Okay, Matt is punching it into the thing because. Now. So, but the thing was, like, all right, there's two things. Oh, I, my God. Okay. <laughs> Has it just People come should, up? I'll try and remember to put a link to CAD so file. It's the classic Derek Jacobi. He's a classic actor. He's a very good actor. <laughs> so great. I tell you what, a CAD file is wonderful for the fact that deliberately or accidentally, it sounds detective-y for the pun, like the CAD files. Well, that's what Even, I thought Matt was saying. Right. Yes, they were. Um, there were there were pieces of writing written between uh, 1977 and 1994. This is not what so, I was thinking about, yeah. but sure. So but it's also it's sort of like a budget version of uh, the Name of the Rose, which is that uh, book and Humberto film with Sean Echo Connery, thing. the famous yeah crime solving an actual proper crime like in a proper clever detective way when people didn't really do detecting. It's like a budget version of that. He was a Welsh monk as well. So you guys went to the opposite then. Uh, let's discuss. Because by I, I know what I, I want, I but think, I'll tell yeah. you in a moment. What do you, what well, do you like, Quins? Well, I know my head was like went like because I'm me. My head went to super mundane stuff. Like it's consultant detective, but you're investigating people who are like you know uh, uh, in tax violation or like they've been fly tipping. That game sofas. would just be looking through Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> oh, it'd be great. Looking, Can you imagine printouts of Excel this spreadsheets? This is just an extension of your like weird oh, fixation yeah. with working in a normal office. That's all this is. Look, I just want to one day understand the majesty. These, this website in is increasingly office. just becoming like a counselling session for Quinns. As my job gets more and more awesome, I'm just going to get more and more excited by the idea of working day, like, at a desk. You can just do some of the accounts with Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, wait, no, what was I saying? So, no, here's the thing. You guys went to CAD Files, so Consult Detective, but older. Um, of course, we've got this new announcement now that Portal Games have revealed Detective, which will be coming out next year. Oh, yeah. Which, for all the world, looks like Consulted Detective, but uh, 21st century, but set in 2015. It'll come with an app that lets you look through right, people's... Say. Um, uh, yeah, it has the app that lets you look through people's files. Basically, it gives you access to, like, you know, the police database, mm-hmm. but obviously a fake police database. Well, I find the problem with that, though, and why, like, Consulting Detective works so well, and why, like, anything... It's not digital. Yeah, like, because basically it's fine that all you can do is, is ha- go and have a conversation with someone, or, like, you know, go here, or you go somewhere and, oh, it's closed. You but, overhear one conversation and get thrown out of a house. Like, it doesn't make sense if you try and go to a shop and you find it's closed when you get there, because you would have just looked it up on the internet before you went. Or, like, you know, why can't we look at the CCTV? Like, you, you suddenly have to have loads of different, well, like, reasons for why you can't do everything. Well, this is exactly it. And I'm hoping that Detective, because it can't solve those reasons, it has to give you access to the CCTV. It'll mm-hmm. give you, I, mean, I don't know if that's going to be in the game, but, yeah, those video files that you scrub through over and over again, combined with the paper documents yeah. running around town, it could could be really good it could be a disaster but like it's fun i'll be excited to get the board game next year because it's fun always fun to get a board game when i have no idea how good sure it will be. sure right. usually you can guess right i just wonder with that stuff because especially because there have been so many like you know it's a big market for murder mystery video games and mystery video games like it's a it's a niche market but some people love that stuff yeah and again like even that fully digital realm like they're already like they prefer to stick to like oldie times because it's like as soon as yeah. it becomes all this digital stuff, you know, like even in digital realm, they struggle to like recreate all these things. And it becomes that horror movie thing of going, well, why don't we just use our mobile phone? Why don't we do that? Like, you know. But yeah. what we have found though is that I talked a bit about this in my like uh, corner awards last year, which is an article on the site people can search for, but it's my roundup of games that are in the corner of my living room because they haven't quite fitted in anywhere else on the site. But in the corner awards of 2000 what are we in 17 so 2016 i realized that the police is the funniest setting of any possible board game yeah because when you try and emulate anything in a board game whether you're a merchant or a city planner you always do a crap job of it because Mm -hmm. board games are challenges and you're going to screw up that's the whole point um but when you screw up as the police it is always hilarious Like, if you arrest the wrong guy or beat someone up or your gun goes off, it's always really, really funny. And so I'm wondering what Detective's going to be like because all the art assets we've seen so far are completely po-faced and also Portal games tend not to do jokes. No, speaking that's loosely. True. So it's like, that's an interesting combination. Is it going to be funny because you'll be terrible policemen? <laughs> or will it be like really serious, like Scandinavian crime drama where oh. everyone is 
it's all psychological profiles. You know, stuff. it could be great. Like, and the thing is, I say this stuff, but actually, you could go the full reverse and be like, yeah, you know, actually, you just get a description of what the CCTV footage like sees, which is fine. Like, just then, then you're like, you know, you're doing an interactive crime novel, which in a way is maybe the that's why sure, like you know, Sherlock and stuff works best when it works. Uh, what do you think, Paul? Are you excited? I'm I'm curious and. Yeah, I think there's a, the potential there for technology to become so much of a focus that you lose some of the discovery and excitement. And that sort of, that leads me to the setting that I'd like to do things in, which is, again, takes us back in time. And I want to like really touchly brief, really touchly brief on this. Really briefly <laughs> I'm saying you're really touchly brief in your, your mouth. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like you've got some of your fingers in your mouth whilst talking. I, that, that's just my mouth. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh my, it's just oh my his word. very tiny mouth. I, uh, I will brief, touchly brief on this. Um, no, I agree that too much technology ruins, can ruin some of the mystery and the appeal. And that's why I like some of the role-playing settings that I tend to, because they tend to throw you back in time. I wonder if like a 40s hard-boiled kind of detective thing would be good for a oh, uh, Sherlock Holmesy type game because I like the idea that you are a protagonist who um can could be imperfect and it could be it could end up that you not only like you get into fights but uh the cases aren't initially what they seem to be people are maybe double crossing you and then you maybe become personally invested in what's happening to the point that maybe you kill someone and you you have to cover that up and you That's get to the end of that case, and it's like, did you manage to hide all the evidence of what you did? You yeah, know, score th- this many points based on misleading people or Ooh. choices you made. And I, I don't know. I wonder if that could be interesting. Well, then you just get into the problem of who is controlling those ethical decisions. Just play a role-playing game. Sure. I mean, like, I think that is really interesting, Paul. But I think when you have those moral decisions that are set to a group of players... Yeah, it can be tricky. Although we know oh, yeah. it can be solved because Pandemic Legacy, of course, does that. You know, no spoilers in this podcast, but Pandemic Legacy does have one or two moral decisions that you kind of have to come to as a group. Um, yeah, and nothing. St- but what you're talking about it might be a little trickier. I think it it could work for a small group, but I mean, you are absolutely right that there's an element of you have to pretend you're all inside the same person's head. <laughs> yeah, and we're all looking forward to uh, Bluebeard's Bride. I think. That yeah. Is a- uh, everyone I know who plays role-playing games is excited for Bluebeard's Bride, which is um, a role-playing game where you are all inside a lady's head, but it's all magical realism, and I'm making it sound weird. If you Google Bluebeard's Bride and look at the Kickstarter and you're at all into role-playing games, you should get pretty excited as well. I, to keep this board ball rolling, have played Yamatai, or Yamatai, I, I, I don't know why I mispronounced it. Um, this is Days of Wonder's new game colourful wooden box of, of Japanese things. colourful. Unbelievable. Most colourful board game of 2017? Yeah, probably. Um, Days of Wonder, of course, uh, make beautiful boxes. Uh, Ticket to Riders, of course, theirs, and Memoir 44. Um, wonderful boxes full of very generous components, wonderful inlay. They really are like treats. Um, but they only release one game a year, and last year that was Quadropolis, Um uh, which I really liked, and they've got an expansion for that coming out, and that's all good. And Five Tribes is hit and miss, uh, and this year we've got Yamatai, and I'm here to announce that I did not like it at all. Wow. Okay, I didn't expect that. Yeah, it was, I really don't think it's very, very good. Um, we got an early copy, and I know that a lot of members of the board game area are very excited because it looks so wonderfully three-dimensional. It is, And a, uh, the designer has a good reputation, that's right. Bruno Cathala. Bruno Cathala, yeah. He, he did uh, Shadows Over Camelot, might be the biggest game uh, that he did. But a load of uh, very important and innovative board games. Uh, it's not just his design, though. There is also another person whose name I do not know. But Yamatai is a big, wonderful board covered in tiny islands with little waterways that run between them. Um, and the players are, by towards the end of this game, will have covered the island in little houses and temples and gates. You're uh, sort of exploring this for Queen Himiko. And I think the aim of the game is like, it's very coy. It's like, if you build the most fabulous jeweled cities, then Queen Himiko might look at you once or something. Queen Himiko is apparently <laughs> great. She's very exciting. and she's, she's the one on the cover of the box. And she's so a real historical get figure. Get your boats in those rivers right and hurry up. look your way. Yeah, that's it. For like 10 seconds, and if that's fine. If you're lucky, but then you'll think of those 10 seconds for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, so, uh, which made it sound probably more romantic than I think the game is. I think you're just, Queen Himiko is exciting in a 
more playful. Anyway, it's a family show. Um, the point of this is that every turn you pick one of these fleet tiles that are along the bottom of the board. Ooh, I'm going to make this very quick because there are a lot of systems in this game. But you see all these colourful boats on the board, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, you pick a fleet tile, which lets you play certain boats. The red boats provide clay, the green boats provide bamboo, all that stuff. They enter the board from one side and you start building chains of these boats, like playing Ticket to Ride. Okay. Um, at the end of your turn, if you have surrounded an island with enough of these boats, you can then place a building. So and the buildings are off to one side of the board, five of them. So one building might require like two bamboo and a clay and a gold. But if you've got those four boats around an island and each island has like eight slots for boats, mm-hmm. or six maybe, um, then you get to build that building and that building is worth victory points. And then palaces are one of the better features of the game because they're the best buildings you can build. They're worth tons of victory points and require loads of gold and stone. Palaces are the big, beautiful red things if you're looking at a picture, Paul. I am. And so are gates. Uh, all these wonderful, great buildings. But once you've built that, um, building next to a palace or gate is worth more victory points. So I build the palace because it's worth loads of victory points, but then to all the other players, I've just made all the islands around that palace more valuable. But that's that's not the end of the game. There's more rules. There's the fact that clearing islands after you place boasts is something you can do instead of building buildings, and then when you get islands cleared, you get culture tokens, and you can spend culture tokens on these people token tiles things which are which give you buffs. The point is that there are so many competing systems for your attention in terms of placing boats and where to build and when to click get culture instead of buildings and then what people to get. And it reminds me a lot of Bruno Cathala's Abyss, which um, we were also very disappointed by despite the fact that it looked utterly gorgeous. But in reality, all these systems you're doing of getting A to use on B, but sometimes there's C to take into account for D... It, it you you can put a lot of thought into all these systems and figuring out the optimal path, but you don't. There's no part of that process that is necessarily enjoyable. There's no end game where it's like, and now I get this, and you're satisfied. Um, you just kind of do the task the game sets out for you, and it's not easy at all. And then you kind of arrive at the end, and you're a bit tired. Hmm. Um, it's a mad chaos of beautiful components, but I none of the people I played it with really felt like they truly enjoyed any part of it? I mean, here's where I turn to you guys. If you guys are playing a game where you're building stuff on a board, what moments are you looking for in that experience? Sorry, go on, Matt. No, go. I was going to say, it immediately sounded interesting when you said placement matters because what you build can potentially uh, boost things for other people. And uh, that made me think a little bit of Terra Mystica and the tactics of where you put things down and... And right, that right. immediately sounded like enough of a game. So here's the so great... The, so the, oops. Uh, no, no I was just going to say the challenge seems like the challenge is placement and when you put exactly. a thing down and how and that feels exactly. like enough. Fantastic. Right. So now you've sparked off what I've just remembered. <laughs> I, was, I knew you guys would help is my biggest criticism <laughs> of it. So you see um, the... I'm, I'm assuming you're both looking at pictures. The small yes. buildings, um, which are like orange or blue or mm-hmm. that kind of color. Those are the player buildings. So when you put one of those down, that's some victory points for you. If you build connected to it on your next turn in a sort of like contiguous lump of buildings, Mm -hmm. you then get money and that feels good. If you and Paul both build palaces and then I build on the island between those two palaces, that feels great because I got extra VPs for being connected to both your palaces. But the reward you get for that is actually quite small. Like the single most fun thing in this is in that Ticket to Ride style of not just building, but building in one long thing that gives you a multiplier. Uh But whereas in Ticket to Ride, I mean, how good does it feel like completing a route that's worth tons of points? You're like, yes! And I I did that before anyone else could get in the way. But the bonus in Yamatai when you build a contiguous lump is there, but it's just some coins, which isn't enough of a reward. So I feel like there is in Yamatai a good game, but the mechanics aren't pushing you towards that. The mechanics are pushing you towards thinking about a dozen other things. Or it's just more abstract. There's not any like concrete drive. Because for me, yeah, like that's it. You want to have these grand like tickets to ride is fun because you have these grand overarching plans that you're yes. working towards. Or like a lot of time with building games for me, it's about texture. It's about like, well, if I get this and this and this, and I can get this. Yes. Like I end up having a car that I really want to do. Like, I really want to build this because yep. it's cool. Right. Um, but if we look at the board of Yamatai, so rather than building up and building towards great things, um, you just build across. Yeah. So you start from the west side of the board and you build houses and palaces there. And then the next turn, you creep over a few more islands and you build houses and palaces there. So you're doing the same thing. Um, creeping. I'm, I would guess, I'm not. we're not going to be giving this a proper review, so this isn't my exhaustive, clever, critical opinion. I'm just sort of trying to zero in on why 
we were all very ready for the game to end easily halfway through it. And it's like mm. nine, 90 minutes. Well, it looks, I mean, like, for despite the 3D models, like, design-wise, it looks quite flat. It doesn't look like there's a lot of, like, texture in terms of, like, and now I get to build this cool thing because I've done these things. Oh, you think so? Well, yeah, like, you know, like, it's cool to build a palace, I guess, but then, I don't know, like, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it looks gorgeous, but in terms of um, stuff that you can be proud of, it's tricky. Oh, if people would like a game to buy instead, um, a game that I think is similar to this but better is Via Nebula, which I think I talked about on a previous podcast that also we didn't think was worth the full review treatment, but I think it's a similar game to Yamatai, uh, and I think it's better. So Via Nebula by Martin Wallace, if you want huh. something instead. And to, to very quickly uh, touch on a thing that you, you said just now, you said it finished in about 90 minutes? I think that was about right. Yeah, for for three how players. many for three folks? So for not like hugely players, yeah. long. I suspect it might were... be a little better as a two player game. Yeah, not hugely long. No Days of Wonder games are like these grand epics. They're, they're not. No, they 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 go for the broad markets that everyone enjoys, and no one not a lot not everyone enjoys like two three hour experiences. But yeah, if you but... want to, sorry, Paul. Oh, I was going to say, but you were done after like forty five minutes. Uh, I oh, I felt psychologically done after forty five minutes. Yeah, that. Um, that is a shame yep it is certainly uh, <laughs> yeah uh, for in terms of a days of wonder release i am excited about i think quadropolis is really good and i think the quadropolis expansion that's coming out uh, which is going to add emergency services um but only one to each player so like matthew gets a hospital and i get a fire station but we don't have you know we only get that one thing um which is a funny mental image to me that, that's gonna uh, make the game even more complicated and i think that'll just make it even better because it's really clever Hmm. Quadropolis is good. I should have you both round for my house for Crumpets and Quadropolis. That's what I should do. Crumpetropolis. Nice. So what we got next? Uh, I, yeah. so I, if if you would indulge me, would like to briefly talk about Lego. Paul, we're going to listen to you talk about Lego. Let's do this. Are you ready? So there was a period, like uh, a few years ago now, where Lego did board games for a while. And they it like they sort of put their toe into this, or I thought they put their toe into this space. And I was thinking about this last night because I played with a bunch of Lego with friends, which I haven't done for ages. And it was good fun. It was therapeutic and it was very silly and it's really enjoyable. Do you mean you literally built, oh, yes, I saw built a uh, Lego castle. Yeah. Yeah, Katja came to your house with a castle and you built a castle. Uh, Kaya did, yes. Oh, my and bad. Okay. We, we teamed up and it was sort of a combination of silly, fun and creative. And that's good. Lego is really good. But also, it got me thinking about the old Lego board games that ran for a while, and I used to see them either in Lego shops or just around generally. And then they stopped, and I was just researching this before we did the podcast, and I thought they made like half a dozen, but it looks like they made like 20 or more of these things. And most of them are kind of similar. They're sort of roll and move, and you have your little Lego minifigures, and you roll a Lego, six-sided Lego die, and move people around and collect stuff, and... They're not hugely uh, I mean, in-depth. that's where my head goes. I mean, you can play with Lego if you want, Paul. I'm not going to judge, but I... But... Being a, but you, we're both board game critics. I'll judge you if you're playing the Lego board games, because weren't they all rubbish? Well, this is it. They they didn't do a great deal of stuff. They had... The creationary was the one that was arguably most interesting, because it's like Pictionary, but with Lego, and you build things, and you try and... You know, you get a clue that is maybe a little bit abstract... And then you try and uh, create a visual prop that works for that clue. And obviously, Lego's a visual, tactile thing. So you build something and you're trying to build it as fast as possible. People are trying to guess it. It's a fairly good idea. It was, I remember playing it years ago and it was good fun and it was good use of Lego. But Lego is configurable stuff and it has, you know, it has figures, it has things that you can build or rebuild. There, I think there was loads of potential there for people to make board games that could be. A really cool dungeon crawl or a really cool city building game or something like that, just with Lego, and nobody ever did. There's you know, this whole I, thing where they just made the simplest stuff possible and it was average. Yeah, there best. was there was part of me that thought you were mad for wanting to talk about this, but as soon as I thought about it even for a second and looking at this image of Minotaurus we've got in front of us, it's like, yeah, you're completely right. This could have been the best thing Lego did. I mean, it's funny, they've got like a little dice uh, I can see in the Minotaurus, which has like, basically, it's a dice that has six faces that are all Lego faces. You can rem- so, change them, yeah. So you can change yeah. the dice to be a different which thing. Which we're seeing Asmodea coming out with Dice Forge in a month or two, where the whole mechanic is you have some dice and then you can buy upgrades 
upgrades that let you upgrade your dice as you run around this right. fantasy world. Let's, let's have a cool thing where you can change what's on the face of the dice. Or how about you have like some adventurers running around a dungeon and you can they pick up weapons because you can put a weapon in their hand and that's the weapon that they have and you can I mean, change their sh- helmet and I know this was done by someone but sure like obviously Lego could have also made the best miniatures game ever there's no reason that Lego couldn't have done the X-wing miniatures game where you buy an actual X-wing and then Ooh. also if you want to mod that X-wing with a different pilot or a different yeah. gun or drop a mine or whatever then you put a Lego thing on that like but but I should say I got that idea from the fact that there is an open source miniatures like mech combat miniatures game which uses lego um is there there's an open source format yeah i forget the name my thing with lego though is it's a bit fiddly and it's a bit bitty so the idea of assembling like boards to play with i'm much happier. what did you play with as a kid duplo <laughs> all up into your late teens yeah so i was at like 21 and then i was allowed to go out <laughs> no i'm joking I, I played duplo when i was very young i don't know like, lego never appealed to me as much like i like duplo because you can just get in and build big stuff quite quickly but I... with lego it's fiddly takes ages. You weren't one of those dorks who was into like Meccano. Or- no, I wasn't that. I didn't, I couldn't have Meccano. It's too expensive. It's ridiculous. It's really expensive. I don't get the Lego nostalgia either. I do find it like the tactility of placing like a Lego thing on a Lego thing is like annoying. Yeah, that's it. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> like it's actually like a bit harsh on don't the thumbs. You, wait, wait. A bit fiddly. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Do we sound like grumps? Why is that funny? Isn't it true that the, 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 the feedback you get from pressing a Lego, like, there's no click. It's just like, ugh. Yeah, and, and also like, you know. And it hurts your thumb. Yeah, it hurts your thumbs a bit. Thank you. I think there's a bit, that's why I was trying to get out. I think it's fiddly and We're going to be eaten alive I in the comments. I think it's fine. All I'm saying is that people who, adults who enjoy Lego are all masochists. <laughs> I, I love this. I just love the idea of both of you like uh, assembling Lego and being really annoyed that you've made uh, something. I, I, I didn't do it as a kid because I was annoying. I, I don't think that I've forgotten the fact that I would really like us to do a review of a 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Oh God, yeah. No, we've got to do that. We will do that. Oh, we could do we it. We could. We could. Yeah. No, something no. really prosaic as well, like, a, you know, a dog in a park or well, i'm looking at i'm looking at a game called minotaurus which people can google if they want and this is a lego game that has a little like little maze made out of lego and i just think yeah like as much in my head i love the idea of playing a 3d miniature based dungeon crawly game you know what like what we currently have of just having bits of interlocking cardboard fine done <laughs> like because it doesn't need to be 3d like for my imagination to turn a dungeon i tell you what i wonder if thing. any of the lego but again that's an example of something that a lego board game could have experimented with this is my point mm. it's like lego board yeah. games, well, paul's point really but lego board games could have been great imagine a board game that you build vertically as you play like reverse yeah. jenga yeah well, that's be basically cool. junk art but yeah so in conclusion all Lego is bad. I don't think that was our conclusion at Definitely, all. Definitely, no. No, wow. it's not. I don't wow. I don't want the Lego crew coming around I'm my house. stunned. Like, coming around, in, putting one of the tiny plastic swords into the hands and bashing me. I tell no, you what. put it in a sock so it doesn't leave a bruise. A friend of mine had a Lego pirate ship, and I, thought, I was so jealous. <gasps> I'm still jealous oh, now. Oh, yeah. That's the truth all, of this. There was all so the good. settings. You can have a pirate setting and a fantasy setting and a city setting. Uh, and all space. three of the settings. And yeah. Until recently, couldn't you have a girl setting? It's like oh, space, yeah. pirates, No, they, they actually went like full circle on that. So it's yeah, funny. No, they, like, they changed yeah. it now, right? But back in the Thank day, heavens. the whole thing about Lego, they put a whole thing about the fact that like it was a gender neutral thing and that boys and girls both like making things and that we... You just give them Lego and it's not a boy's thing. It's not a girl's thing. And then obviously marketing happened and they... Oh yeah. And then Lego for girls. And then that happened. But now... But now they're kind of coming back to things. But it's all cyclical. That reminds me of something I want to talk about this week very briefly because it's hilarious to me. So you guys are well aware like that uh, uh, the rising forces of like political feminism have completely correctly been identifying the fact that women have been locked out of gaming and and made it to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, So... Every, uh, you know, universe under the sun, letter included, are like uh, changing representations of women. They're uh, being more thoughtful about uh, uh, minorities as well. All this good stuff. And the thing that I've realized that is like a dinosaur dying in a tar pit is the Warhammer universe. Because Mm. the Warhammer, this is so funny to me now. Because Warhammer and Warhammer 40k, obviously, overwhelmingly masculine. And then the classic question of where are the female space marines? And that was a question that would have niggled Warhammer fans in the 90s. But now it's starting to be like, because everyone else is changing, you know, comics and geek culture in general. But but Warhammer can't change no. because their fan base would explode. Yeah. So you've got this universe that just looks worse every single year. And I mean, year. it's also, it's, it's half to do with just how you read it. Because the funny thing about 40K is that the, the way, 
the way it keeps going is because people think it's cool. Where like Space Marines are not cool. They're horrible. Oh, then awful like, Nazis. Like, everyone's awful. Maybe that's how they save the universe. They they double down on the fact that Space Marines are not the good well, guys. Well, that's the thing. It, it kind of only works with the duality of like the whole point about 40K is it's like in the future there is nothing but war. It's not supposed to be like cool. And yet people think it is. <laughs> So, but that's that's true of so many things in culture. Like, you know, people watch like There Will Be Blood, and they think like, you know, oh, what a cool char- character! What a cool character! Like, it's just like no, like, so that's kind of a thing. Mad Men. People forget that, like, people watch that and they think Don Draper's like a hero. People like post memes being like, I want to be like Don Draper. It's like no, you don't. He's a loser. <laughs> no. So I, f- I find yeah. that sort of amazing that. And unfortunately, I think this will continue to happen indefinitely as people will make stuff very much with the intention of like, here's a thing. It's not very nice or it's horribly imperfect. And some people will just interpret that as, you know, you've made this the focus of the story. So this must be the cool thing. It must be good, right? Well, as a final punctuation point, like in board games, Monopoly. Like we've got the, the prime example there. You know, it's like we all know that story with everyone. Yeah. So the uh, if people aren't aware, very briefly, Monopoly started its life as a game called The Landlord's Game made by... Uh, Diane something, I forget her name. Um, But yes, it was an example of why uh, there's a problem in capitalism that the people who own land get richer and everyone else gets poorer. And then it became a wildly successful capitalist product and the message was forgotten. So yeah, it happens. But yeah, that's you're right about 40k. They just can't. They can't be like, oh, and some ladies have turned up because with guns <laughs> and they're just as angry and horrible as everyone else. It's just, and it's, what, it's I, hyper-masculinity I mean, right. in a box. And it, what looks even odder is it's supposed to be the future, and the, the future is supposed to be different. But the future in this case ends up looking like massively regressive in nineteen eighties. Yeah, it, but also a horrible yeah, world, <laughs> even Roman or something, because everything is so male dominated and full of eagles and. Well, this is the a, fun conquering and fighting. A friend of mine was telling me about this. He used to work um, with or for Warhammer, and he was saying that the main inspiration for the Warhammer universe was like Thatcherism. Because the guy who, uh, Priestley, maybe might have been one of the lead creative forces, but he was just like a miserable poet who grew up in the North. And so it was his example of like, well, what's the future going to be like? It's going to be, this is the future under Thatcher. Yeah. And, uh, and, but then when people are like, how oh, about what a wicked world? And you're like, okay. That, yeah, that's the thing. This has gotten away from us a little bit. And you bit. kind of forget that. that it's like, it's not painting the future as a, a night. I mean, like 90% of the people you see in 40K are just skulls in piles. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Ooh, put your hand in the mailbag for me a letter. Right. Well, I'm reaching right to the bottom of the mailbag here. Something vaguely grimy that I just squeaked past. Oh, I've got one. I've got a tiny one. Oh, what's that on your arm? I don't... Oh, God, I'll put it back. That's a leech. I flicked it back into the bag. We can think about that next time. Hi, shut up and sit down, team. My fiancé and I have been living overseas for the last five years and using the shut up and sit down site for inspiration. Nailed it. Well done, everyone. As we become more excited about board games. In June, the week before our wedding, flashback time, we have decided to treat ourselves, I'm confused tense, to a weekend at the UK Games Expo. Sorry, I'm critiquing someone's grammar and email. Karen, having never been to any big expo before, let alone a board game one, we hoped you might dedicate 15 minutes on a podcast. 15 minutes? 15 minutes is not going to happen. For some tips. So this is from Phil and Sam. Thanks, Thank Phil you and very Sam. much, Phil and Sam. So, I mean, what are some tips. important things to know about board game expos? The first thing is, of course, if you have like a short length of pipe or some keys in your hand, that can make all the difference in the yeah. balls that break out at about three and four in the morning. UK Games Expo as well. Uh, there's a little Mexican place, which is all right. I mean, I was just going to do fake tips for Iguanas. Longer, but we can go oh, straight right. into the real ones. I mean, that's my main tip. I, was, I, was I gonna... wanted to, but most of our audience, <laughs> sorry, Paul, what were you going to say? I'm just going to tell people how to how to make a tourniquet. Yeah, there you go. Really? That's, that's what I was going for. You picked up what sorry. I was putting down. It's fine, Matt. We'll talk about, about this later. How about make a bayonet out of your lanyard? It's too late. So uh, we're going to be doing uh, not just tips on the UK Games Expo, though we could specifically talk about Las Iguanas, um, but we won't. Because uh, then people will know where to harass us as well after the con. That would be terrible. Um, no, let's just talk generally about conventions. What should people know? And I will start it off with my own personal tip, which is conventions are so good for meeting people and making friends and playing board yes. games with strangers. But that isn't foolproof. So I would say, you, in my experience, I've had more fun at conventions when I've known people who are going or had like one or two friends, even just that sweet spot of three or four people that you need for a lot of good board games. It's like a music festival. You don't want to have too many people. Otherwise, you'll spend half the time waiting around for people. That's a good point. You know, you just want to keep it light. Two or three good friends. 
that you can you wander around, you... split up with. Doesn't matter if you just don't see each other for a few hours, whatever. Yeah. Do what you want. Go shopping. I, I absolutely agree. And I, I think the problem can be if you try and overcomplicate or do too much. The, a thing I hear a lot from people is post-con regret of like, oh, I missed this. I didn't get to do that. I didn't get to go there. And I think in most cases with a lot of conventions, that's going to be the case. You are not going to be able to do everything. Yeah. Don't feel bad about that. Don't Seriously feel bad talk. about that at all. They are like almost identical to music festivals. You've got to keep stuff hydrated. Oh, try yeah. to eat some decent food because it's a, it's not a, it's not a race. It's a marathon. A marathon is a race. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the main thing is, yeah, like just don't, don't have fear of missing out. Like it's that classic thing. If you go to a music festival that you have this like, oh, I've got to see all these bands and you've got like 20 bands you want to see. And then you end up seeing like four um and that's fine and you just got to go with it it's just about enjoying yourself don't find don't find yourself getting into because there's with any of these cliques there'll be a thing that you feel you have to do and ever go you're not doing this you're not queuing up at eight in the morning to to do this or you're not going to this thing if you're having fun doing something don't like don't rush off to do something else just have fun yeah Yeah. it sounds obvious but sometimes people get so hung up on being like on a schedule that they don't actually stop to just I do know people who have like breathe I don't know people but I've seen people discuss having uh, like laminated schedules for wow. what they do what they're going to do at every step of a board game convention. some people enjoy that sure but what I would never go to a convention someone who enjoys that but that's just personal yeah I'm, I'm the sort of person who just goes ah it doesn't matter I thought this would be a good question but really it's just going to be us sort of life tips isn't it it's just life like us being three dads hey <laughs> have a good time don't get stressed you're listening Drink to lots the, of water it's the just three dads podcast that probably i'm sure that already exists <laughs> so shout out to the just three dads podcast whatever that is if you could give us a shout out back yeah that'd be shout great out back that'd be wonderful. we love dads we love dads uh yep Right, let's move on. You know what? If you have good... Just because we're shit at this doesn't mean that we have to <laughs> deny these people. If you have a good convention tip, then leave it on this podcast description on shutupandsitdown.com. Are we going to get some? We are going to... I'm sure people are going to appear with some sort of crazy thing we'd never thought of. Like, I, I have cracked the system or I, I can do conventions with this one weird tip. I would say don't bother queuing. I think that would probably huh. be my best tip. Okay. Yeah. Because anything, if, if you're queuing for something, you're literally just wasting time. And get, a good game will always come out and you'll always be able to play it, unless it's like genuinely a one of a kind experience. Everybody has different things. Like, you know, uh, we, I remember at Gen Con, like, we, we quite enjoyed uh, like the, the, the silly dungeon thing. It was good fun. Oh, what? Uh, true dungeon. Yeah. But for some people, they just go and do that like four times. And that's kind of their Gen Con. Like, yeah. I think if with a good convention, you should be able to turn up and just do what you want. Some people just go and buy a new release. And then just play it with their friends in their hotel lobby. Some people don't even do that. Some people just bring games with them and then just play them there. It's fine. Just, just fine. Live your life. Yeah. Shut up and sit down is number one tip. There are no tips for life. Just do what you want. Yeah. Open a can of cold drink. So our <sighs> list of tips for convention, just to recap, so people can write this yeah. down if they need it. Yeah. Tip one, live your life. Yeah. Tip two, there are no tips for life. Yeah. Tip, tip- three, take uh, keys to put between your knuckles. Yeah. Uh, tip yeah. four. Do you have a tip, Paul? Uh, tourniquet scores, all of that sort of stuff. Iodine, um, buddy system. Go buddy with the buddy system. because if you are down and at some point you will be down, I go, probably unconscious. You I need go to someone to drag you away. I go with my buddy Billy. Billy Cool, and he looks after me at conventions. Uh, he's a great help. Is Billy Cool? Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, snap what was i gonna say oh yeah the that thing remember when gen con used to be held at the same time as a biker convention in the 80s yeah that's a thing and it was just the bikers would rove around finding packs of gamers to beat up on so what we're saying is like that's a foundation in reality yeah like protect yourself protect yourself don't go alone guys look at the time there's no time for a folk game this month oh we spent so long doing life tips and bayonets I, now we have to go home i honestly now feel it's really, bedtime i feel bad because that is everyone's favorite feature oh i know i know i'll tell you what though we, we should i just tease the folk games we've got coming so yeah yeah go on dude yeah we've got a folk game because i asked at the beginning of this year no more sexy teens because we were we got a notification. We've from the gone police. over our legal limit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I asked for games from people's careers. We have a folk game that is, uh, and thanks you if you sent this in. We've got a folk game from people who are uh, at a car rental company. Imagine the hijinks they get up to. We've got a folk game sent in from a stuntman who is, uh, they play folk games at stuntman conventions. We've got a folk game from a paramedic who has hilarious times with people who've massively injured yourselves themselves. 
And we have the one I wanted to read out this week, which was a folk game from a juggler at a juggling convention. And the game wow. Is, the game is combat <laughs> juggling. So while we'll talk about combat juggling next uh, ep- next episode, because we're going to start getting these out every couple of weeks, if people just want to uh, go to YouTube and search for combat juggling, then hey, you'll be more entertained than we could entertain you. I think I'm happy just to leave combat juggling in my imagination. Dude, it's for even next better weeks. in real life. Well, I can't wait. I swear to God. Right, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Hopefully we've piqued your interests uh, about the videos we did this week, because, hey, Shut Up Sit Down is more than just a podcast. Yeah. It's our, a way of life. Our videos are basically like all of the life advice and tips you ever need. Go and watch Flam Rouge. Go and watch Mythos Tales. Go and watch our Gen Con special from 2015, where we introduce yeah. you to Billy Cool. God, what a strange man. He's the best. It might have been the 2016s, but just search for Shut Up and Sit Down Gen Con special. Watch all the videos, Paul, one after the other. Matt and I are going to go to sleep. What are you doing? It's just pretty much the start of my day, so I'm going to do what I do every day, which is go around town dispensing dad tips to people. <laughs> like, you know, don't scratch that, it'll be sore. Or, uh, you know, don't uh, have shoelaces that are too long. Or uh, watch where you're walking. Or uh, remember to eat your greens. So it is legal in Vancouver <laughs> if someone wants to fight you. That's that's completely legal. I f- you told me this, right? So right, do you have to I, do you have to want to fight them as well? I you know what I'm going to see if I can uh, have a word. I know a, a gentleman who is a police gentleman. I'm going to find out if there are any police folk games or equivalent going. <gasps> please, because he th- this is a story that comes from a chap where he met some people who were fighting, but they sort of they'd agreed to have a fight, and because they weren't using any dangerous weapons, they. There was something like no one was going to press charges against somebody else. So, so I, I don't want to get anyone in. Right? I, I, oh, I don't want to get anyone into legal trouble. Have to be like, like you can just have a fight. But it was it was a sort of a disagreement where they were both consenting, and that from a uh, you know what I shouldn't. I'm. I'd love it if it turned out our so podcast much dangerous territory. Our podcast had enough like uh, reach that suddenly in Canada thousands of people just started fighting the street <laughs> as a result of our podcast being like yeah remember guys so thanks for listening to the podcast if you're in Canada start a fight with someone you got- you're legally completely fine to do so we cut to two people who are listening to this podcast in the same room while cooking or something and they both just slowly turn to face each other and immediately begin brawling and punching each other yeah so if you are brawling please stop uh, and uh, that, that thanks double for check listening. that you are both consenting. Double check, yeah, double check. Right, I, I'm going to see if it might not be on the next podcast. It might be sometime ahead, but I'm going to see if I can clarify exactly what some of this is. Paul, and- why not apply to be a police officer? Get inside, learn their secrets. That I uh, we will have a great location to film when we do the detective review next year. Oh my goodness, I don't even want, like, not exactly the easiest job in the world. Thank you all very much for listening, everybody. We will be back (laughs) with the next episode in just two weeks. See you then. Take care. Bye. Bye.